This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Jan Tiersen is one of many artists you can see performing at the 2017 Sydney Festival running from the 7th to the 29th of January. Joining us on the line, Wesley Enoch, the Festival Director. Wesley, good morning. Good morning, Richard. So you've been best known in the past as a theatre director and also the artistic director of Queensland Theatre Company. Has curating a festival been particularly different or particularly more challenging than, say, curating uh, a festival, sorry, a a theatre program for a, a subscription season? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, number one, just the, the 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 sheer number of projects. Like Sydney Festival has about a hundred and fifty odd separate events, whereas the theatre company might only have twenty. You know, so just the sheer number of things is big, and also this shift for me of going from being a maker to a presenter, which is a very different thing for me. That that even when you're talking with artists, often their shows are already made. Um, whereas when you're working in a theatre company, there's always the potential and the sense of where it's going. So it's just a, a shift as well. And, and I found that as a, as, a, as a maker, I've been going, oh, I think this is a really important idea. Let's do this. And then going, well, who's the artist who's going to make that work? So I, I've had to just shift my brain around a bit. Uh, you've also shifted uh, artists around a bit, to, for want of a better phrase, because one of the things that in, really intrigues me about this program is you're giving Sydney audiences a chance to see some of the best independent work made by artists from around the country, whether it's La Boite in Brisbane, for example, or whether it's um, uh, pieces of independent work from Melbourne by Patricia Cornelius and Susie D. So kind of a, a real focus on the strength and the diversity of the Australian independent artists sector yeah it's interesting it's not that unusual we've only got we've got a little bit more australian work than we've had in the past but it's mostly because i've felt that it's time to have a conversation about how good the work is in australia as well that um often with international arts festivals there's a, a focus on what's good overseas and and what's happening locally is mostly brand new work and so you know there's a terrible comparison about something that's been touring for five years and something that's just rehearsed for four weeks and just got on here. And for me, there's this last, let's call it two years, has been pretty shocking. It's been pretty bad in terms of the funding and the sense of confidence in, in artists in Australia, let alone the small to medium sector. So I just thought that the festival could play a role in shining a light on incredibly powerful work, really amazing stories being told by artists of very high calibre, and not not get caught up in the whole exclusive kind of thing that oh we 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 could only do brand new work or it has to be exclusively to Sydney. There's a sense of saying the Sydney audiences deserve to see what's going on around the country um, as much as it deserves to see international work. Well, for example, works that you've programmed, such as uh, the Le Bois and Brisbane Festival co-production Prize Fighter, which to mm. me is a, a really timely piece of theatre. I had the pleasure of seeing it in Brisbane last year. And this is a work about um, the immigrant experience in Australia. It's a work about uh, kind of the, the fallout from childhood trauma. Um, it's a yeah. really great work for Sydney audiences to be able to see. Well, exactly. I mean, I'd even say audiences across the country. You know, there's there's part of me that goes, I know it's so hard to get a national tour up. I know that's really hard. But what can Sydney Festival do to play as a play as a kind of stepping stone? And this particular work, Prize Fighter, I think is um, here's a work that in its first premiere, you know, it's great. It's really powerful, really impactful. 
But I thought, oh, actually, what could it do when it had its second draft? What could it do if it had the resources to go through a bit more of a rehearsal process, learn the lessons from the first production and get better? That that's more likely a, a better kind of cultural investment, if you like, in a really important story, a great group of artists and this first-time writer who is telling a story that's of boy soldiers in Africa and that kind of migrant experiences you talk about, the, or even migrant, asylum seeker experience coming to Australia and trying to talk through and work through the trauma through, in this case, boxing. Um, and this part of me goes, uh, I, I think that often festival directors have been caught up in thinking that it's, their audience is other festival directors, when in fact the audience is about local, uh, is about the city that they're, they're in and about responding to the city that they're in. And you know, I know that most of you listeners out there are from Melbourne, but to experience Sydney in that way, to see how audiences uh, are reacting to, in this case, prize fighter, but to how the whole city works is so much more important than trying to go, oh, I'm just going to see this one show. Actually come and experience, you know, a whole weekend or a whole week of shows and experience what the city is like in festival time. It's one of the things that I delight in with festivals is the way they display the personality of a city, the, the not just the local culture, food, wine, theatre, visual art, whatever that may be, but there's a real sense of the vibrancy of the city at play. And, and Sydney is very much, the Sydney Festival is very much a, a reflection of um, the city in summer. There's a sense of people letting their hair down, challenging themselves to see work they wouldn't normally see, um, and, and really embracing the festival with gusto. Yeah, and there's so much on. With 150 different activities at Sydney, you can, you can actually find your own way through it. There's, there's the cabaret stuff, there's the Spiegel tent, um, uh, another great Australian group, Briefs, which has been touring the world, coming and doing their show called The Second Coming, and people in Melbourne will remember Briefs. Um, the, 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 um, well, Fez, uh, Fez Fanana, who is... He plays Shivana, a six foot three Samoan drag queen. He's been a guest on the, for the night. He's been a guest on the show. Yeah, and uh, oh yeah, great. And it, I, I, it was a when I saw that show at the Athenaeum, uh, I was so yeah. delighted and and captivated. I had to go back and see it a second time. So yeah, kind of great work. Now, um, I guess one of the things that's also intriguing about your program for two thousand and seventeen is people don't just get a chance to immerse themselves in the city, but they get the chance to immerse themselves in the Amazon rainforest in a work which has been getting rave reviews from around the world. Yeah, The Encounter by Complicite. Um, Simon McBurney has created this work as a director and a writer. Uh, and uh, extraordinary work. You, it, the whole audience wears headphones and there's a sound mix of, well, in this case, the Amazon or wherever the character is taking you. It's based on a book called Amazon Beaming. And it, it, there's this amazing experience. Actually, the, the character on stage is talking about the heat of the Amazon walking through the, the lush rainforest of Amazon and the sound effects, the way it's all mixed for you. I, I literally broke into a sweat as I was listening to the show and this kind of oral stimulations becoming physiological and, and the, the power of suggestion through sound was quite extraordinary. We kind of almost disconnected from our senses a bit and I've done a whole programming section around the senses so that you can go, what is it like to retune your body, retune the human body for a modern world where we're, you know, engaged in digital and virtual environments all the time as we work and through our leisure time. What's it like to come and either be in a theatre or a, a, an exhibition space or and experience that kind of uh, sensory 
connection to your body, which is very, very beautiful. And the encounter is a great example of that. And there's another great example in the program of the way that art is blurring boundaries between art forms. You've got dancers in an art gallery. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, Sydney Dance Company is doing what's called Nude Live in the Nude Exhibition, uh, the exhibition from the Tate that'll be at the Art Gallery of New South Wales. And this whole meditation on the classical form, the human form, both in uh, in visual art as well as in dance. And it'll be a very beautiful and very rare experience to come, come and do that. And, and, you know, Sydney Dance Company, there's incredibly beautiful uh, bodies in, in, in dances and this whole idea of the line and in the space so that you can experience the visual art and the dance at the same place will be very rare. Now, if people have just tuned in, I'm talking to Wesley Enoch, the Artistic Director of Sydney Festival, who's just recently, last week, launched his debut program for the festival, which is running from the 7th to the 29th of January. So if you're after a summer break, then a few days in Sydney and soaking up uh, Wesley's program would be uh, the top of my recommendations for January. Now, Wesley, you're uh, a proud man of uh, from an Indigenous background. There's a strong Indigenous thread running through the program, which I think a lot of people were perhaps expecting from you, but it's I'm intrigued by the way that you've woven Indigenous expression throughout the program rather than ghettoising it in a particular, just in an quote, Indigenous, unquote, program. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's my life too. You know, I don't, I don't live my indigeneity as a as a kind of um, isolated part of my life. I live it everywhere I go. So be it from dance or visual arts, uh, ranging throughout the whole city, uh, looking at languages. I mean, there's just a a way of experiencing. Uh, There's this powerful thing when lots of other people do Indigenous programs like a ticker box and go, actually, now we have one or two, that's enough. But my feeling is going, no, no, when you have half a dozen or more Indigenous shows or experiences, you can actually relieve them from just having to uh, represent Aboriginality. When you have so many, you can actually go, well, look at Jacob Baum's work, um, beautiful Melbourne artist, dancer, trained at NASTA, doing this work called Blood on the Dance Floor, which is talking about his Aboriginality, yes, but also his HIV status. And the fact that 14 years ago, when he was diagnosed with HIV, he has this, this kind of um, conflicted, I guess, story about his blood and how that works. That's a really amazing show, uh, and it was there in Melbourne. I went, hey, "Come on, come on up and do that." Vernon Arkey doing uh, a meditation on the '67 referendum called "Not an Animal or a Plant" um, refers to how we were all part of the flora and fauna until 1967, and as part of the 50th anniversary of the '67 referendum, a massive big concert which is called um, "Music in the Key of Yes." responding to the fact that 90.77% of all Australians voted in the 67 referendum to give Aboriginal people full rights as citizens in this country. Amazing thing 50 50 years ago. And that huge concert, which will be a a concert of gratitude and and thanks for the generations of people who supported Aboriginal Australia. It's uh, It strikes me as a really joyous aspect of the festival program uh, and such an important thing to celebrate as you say and a, a way to bring together black and white Australia in a, in a, a concert of joy and celebration. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's the thing about when you tell stories which are, are stories, like for me when you're looking at my nephews and nieces, my cousins and you say, actually I want you to have a really positive view of the world ahead of you not one which is all about the grief 
of the past, by the uh, a sense of how we're we making a difference. And you know, I, so I've chosen shows, I've chosen experiences that remember the past, but also project us into the future for Aboriginal Australia. And I mean, look, and I can say that about all art, really. It's trying to give a really, um, yes, a microscope on what we are as this country, but also a sense of projecting us forward, telescoping us forward, and saying that's where we want to be. Let's have a look at what's over there. There's other, so many other works in the festival program we could talk about. There's The Cheek by Jowl and uh, Pushkin Theatre Moscow's production of Shakespeare's Measure for Measure, which is going to be a celebration of Shakespeare and politics, but also, uh, I imagine, a fairly confronting look at life in modern Russia. There's a giant ball pit for, for adults to jump into and play around. So from the, from the sublime and provocative to the ridiculous and gleeful, it's a, it's a really diverse and exciting program. Well, that's the thing. It, this, uh, summer, Sydney Festival is a summer festival. By its very nature, it has to have everything. Yes, it's an international arts festival that looks outward. It's also uh, you know, a very important beginning of the year to look inwards, look at our, our own nation, but also a sense of celebrating the city in summer. So all of those different things are happening. I should just point out one other thing too, Still Life, which is a show that's really close to my heart by um, a Greek artist called Demetrius Papianeou, who, um, who did the opening ceremony of the Athens Olympics. This incredibly beautiful uh, Greek company of performers looking at uh, a meditation on classicism and the inheritance of the Sisyphus myth uh, and the, the futility of labour and things. Really beautiful work. Anyway... I think people should get online, check on, check on the website. There's too much to talk about. There absolutely is. The Sydney Festival uh, <laughs> runs from the 7th to the 29th of January. Check out www.sydneyfestival.org.au for the full program details. I recommend a weekend or perhaps two up in Sydney. Wesley Enoch, Festival Director of the Sydney Festival, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Richard. This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Hot on the heels of the Sydney Festival launch was the launch of another festival, perhaps uh, in many people's eyes, the preeminent arts festival in Australia, the Adelaide Festival, which in 2017 runs from the 3rd until the 19th of March. And what's unique about the Adelaide Festival next year is that it has not one, but two artistic directors. Uh, Neil Armfield, who's currently, I believe, in the rehearsal rooms for Australian Opera's Ring Cycle. Uh, and the other artistic director is Rachel Healy, who joins us on the line now. Rachel, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Really well, thank you. Really well indeed. So before we start talking about your festival program, I just wanted to ask why co-artistic directors? Is, is it a, because the, the task of running the festival was daunting or was it because you have both worked together in the past and just thought we've got a good symbiotic relationship, let's just jump in and do it? Uh, yeah, I, I guess it was, um, it was sort of a mixture of both really. Um, I mean, both of us had been approached individually about the role and for various reasons, it just it just didn't feel right. Uh, and then someone, there's dispute about whether it was me or Neil or, or uh, the person in charge of the search. Someone suggested, well, have you thought about maybe doing it together? And suddenly the idea seemed to make sense. I mean, we'd worked together for 10 years running Belvoir. We have a very symbiotic relationship. Um, I'd just finished some work uh, for the City of Sydney in developing the city's first cultural policy and that was rolling out but I was kind of ready for a fresh challenge. Um, I'd, I'd loved uh, my programming role at Sydney Opera House 
the Adelaide Festival had had a huge influence on me growing up in Adelaide. And the idea of, of uh, returning to Adelaide uh, in a role that, that had been... Um, uh, that, I guess, had, had influenced the way I had seen the arts growing up with, with someone who I had a, a, a very a close connection with just sort of felt right. And... Um, Luckily, the board felt the same way, that it was an interesting new experiment, and so we plunged in. Now, the program for your inaugural Adelaide Festival uh, for 2017, as I said, was launched last week. You had previously announced some of the highlights already, uh, one of which uh, Barry Kosky's production of the opera Saul, produced by the Glyndebourne Opera Festival in the UK. Uh, That's obviously already been selling like hotcakes. Why is opera so... Why does it have such a key role in, in festivals in particular? Well, it hasn't really had a key role in, in, in festivals in the last few years. I mean, I'm, I, you know, growing up in Adelaide, opera was very important. I mean, uh, Nixon in China, uh, Voss, for example, Death in Venice, th- they were always very central planks of the Adelaide Festival program. But, but opera on a grand scale hasn't really been an, a, a part of the festival landscape really for a while. Uh, and, and look, you know, we, it was something that we wanted to revisit because um, we feel that, that festivals are about grand ambition, uh, epic ideas, uh, extraordinary theatricality, the kinds of, of works that you just won't see uh, in the rest of the year. But there's theory and then there's practice. And if we hadn't found the right work, uh, we, of course we, we wouldn't have, have programmed uh, a work like this just for the sake of it. Luckily, very early in our tenure, uh, Neil was at the opening night of Saul in Glyndebourne and I was at the closing night. And Neil was texting me at interval. This is before all the five-star reviews came out and all the kind of glory that rained down on Saul and said, this is absolutely extraordinary. This really is Kosky at the top of his form. I mean, we'd heard, obviously, uh, from international colleagues that the work that Barry was doing at the Comish Opera in Berlin was, uh, was, you know, highly prized, receiving multiple awards. He really was seen as one of the really, truly great opera directors of our generation. But Australians hadn't really seen the work. And so seeing Saul, it was not just a testament to everything that, that Barry has been accomplishing in the last decade uh, or more in opera, but probably one of the best, uh, examples of how he is an artist at the very top of his craft and you know the fact that he was Australian he was an ex-Adelaide Festival director uh, Australians hadn't seen his work it, it, it combines you know perfect uh, theatricality his, the musicianship is extraordinary and he is his subversive imaginative best it, it was just a no-brainer really the, the challenge was simply raising the money for it because <laughs> as, as a piece of um, as, as a centrepiece for a festival, there was no question it was um, it was unmissable. Now, you used the words grand ambition and epic ideas just a moment ago, which also, yep. I guess, is a, a nice segue for your recently announced festival club, which is going to be floating on the Torrens River. Yes, <laughs> this is, uh, yeah, ambition, ambitious is, is the this is the word I can tell you. Building a two-story structure that can float 
on a festival budget is uh, not for the faint-hearted, I can assure you. Um, but look, uh, we, we're big believers in a really vibrant festival club. You know, in our view, festival clubs should be more than just watering holes. There's plenty of bars in, in our, all our capital cities. And with the Fringe uh, in Adelaide, there's lots of places just to go and have a drink. But the festival club has always been somewhere that is really the beating heart of the festival. It's where people come before a show, after show, they compare notes. Some of the best uh, festival hubs in Adelaide, like Red Square, have been actively programmed. There are meeting space for artists. They're, uh, they're incredible places that become the kind of magnet for all the festival attendees. And so having decided that we wanted to do it, the, the task was really asking, well, what kind of, of place or, or, or hub should it be? And one of our festival associates, Gil Minervini, uh, had been uh, spending some time in the State Library here, and she found this incredible story about this flamboyant entrepreneur in the 1920s called Barton Teasdale Smith, who created something called the Floating Palais or the Palais de Dance, or it was also called the Taj Mahal of the Torrent, <laughs> which was this <laughs> fantastic um, uh, social club dance hall in the 1920s. It only lasted four years, but uh, it, it was... Uh, it, you know, the stories that came out of it that were covered by the local newspaper were incredible. He had a fig leaf ball, a soda fountain, uh, dancing competitions where the winner uh, danced with a cobra for six hours. Like, just these amazing stories from the 20s. And uh, w we started to ask ourselves, well, how, what would a, a contemporary floating palais look like? How can we take the sort of the entrepreneurial spirit of, of that venture and turn it into something that's going to create a sense of excitement and, and, and also share, you know, uh, Adelaide stories. There's so many hidden Adelaide stories and this was a great example of one. So with our, um, with our second uh, artistic associate, Bob Cousins, who is the festival designer, we started along the path of reimagining what, uh, what the contemporary floating palais might be like. And it's, uh, it's going to be fantastic. I mean, like... Um, uh, the great festival hubs of old. It will be programmed morning, noon and night, but it will also be the gathering space, we hope, for artists and audiences throughout the festival. If you've just tuned in, we're speaking to the co-artistic director of Adelaide Festival 2017, Rachel Healy. Now, Rachel, you've spoken about opera, you've spoken about recreating a floating palace from the 1920s. Um, a devil's advocate question, is this a festival that's looking to the past and looking to a European tradition with works from, from uh, Germany, from Italy, from England, from the USA and Canada, rather than a festival that's looking to the future? No, look. I mean, uh, obviously, I'm not going to say say um, say it is looking to the past. Although I I, I do think um, I do think that we can learn lots of lessons from the past. There were reasons that the Adelaide Festival in the 70s and 80s was considered one of the top three festivals in the world, and it wasn't because of uh, the the European traditions, it was because of, it, of its scale and its ambition. And I think that there are elements uh, from from those festivals that we can learn from. I mean, obviously, uh, it's not just about scale and ambition and, and works like Saul or works like Secret River, which we'll be doing in the Anstey Hill Quarry, but it's also uh, about the ambition of the artists that you engage. And if you look at, at some of the... the, uh, the uh, other elements of the program, uh, Lynette Woolworth's Coral Rekindling Venus, um, 
uh, Tanya L. Curry's Garden Speak. These are artists that are, are crucially engaged with the social and political issues of the day and doing what artists do best, which is taking uh, issues, for example, the, the catastrophe of Syria or the global of, or global warming's impact on the coral reef and going well beyond reportage and documentary and creating ways into those issues that are absolutely contemporary and move and I think uh, inspire audiences in completely new ways and so I think that um, that it's that yes uh, looking at the country of origin of the artists is is uh, one um, lens to look through I think it's better to kind of look at the arc of what festival directors do o over their period of tenure in our case three years rather than one program because the first program as I know Wesley has talked about uh, you program within about eight months of your appointment and so there's a whole range of, of, of issues that uh, that affect what you program in your first year it's, it's better I think to look at the arc of, of what festival directors do a country of origin is really only one lens there's a whole range of other lenses that, Absolutely. Uh, that I think are, are right to assess you know, where an area of interest is for festival directors. I will happily cast a critical eye over your festivals in another three years' time. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, one of the other great things that um, an international festival like the Adelaide Festival, which is running from the 3rd to the 19th of March 2017, can do is to showcase the work of local artists on the same stage as uh, international works that have already been critically acclaimed. And I'm delighted to see that... In 2017, your festival includes Restless Dance Theatre, whose work I'm already yep. familiar with, uh, and a new work by one of my favourite circus companies, not only in Australia but in the world, Gravity and Other Myths. Yeah, they're, they're, they're absolutely fantastic uh, backbone. I mean, they're, they're a, a, actually a, 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 a great part of the program because when I moved to Adelaide, I hadn't really heard of Gravity and Other Myths, and... And I sat with, uh, with hundreds of other patrons in the hottest big top you could ever be in on a boiling hot Adelaide day. Not a single person left the, the theatre. And we watched this incredible homegrown Adelaide troupe who'd come out of, of Sir Kids, which was a, a youth circus company in Adelaide, creating this incredible work. And when I started talking to the company and, uh, and in fact, started talking to festival directors in Europe, I discovered that, that they are so in demand internationally. You know, they haven't really been seen in Australian festivals and yet they are a regular favourite of many European festivals. They've got a European agent, there's a lot of interest from America and so, you know, part of the joy of coming back to Adelaide is discovering these remarkable artists that haven't really been seen on the Australian stage. And so in discussion with the company, it was fantastic to learn that they had uh, ambitions for a new work, a work that would would um, would exist in a theatre. They were so clear about what what they wanted to achieve in the next uh, piece that they did, and so we were really thrilled to uh, support them in that venture and premiere Backbone into our our program. 
Now, we don't have time, sadly, to talk about everything in the program as much as I would like to spend an hour going through it with you. But uh, yes. there's works that some Melburnians will have already seen. Every Brilliant Thing, for example, What No Fish yes. and Portraits in Motion. Uh, but I did want to touch on the visual art program as well. Now, the it's not uh, the year for the Adelaide uh, Biennial, which is happening again next year, but you do have nonetheless a strong visual arts program, including an exploration of a unique Australian instrument. The didgeridoo. Oh, yes. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, the Yidiki program. Uh, yeah, look, it, it, it's fantastic. Um, yes, the South Australian Museum have been working on this for a couple of years, and uh, Yidiki is, uh, is sort of the proper word for didgeridoo, and they have... Uh, one of the, oh, I think, the largest collection in the world. And in developing this exhibition, they didn't want it to be something that was just, you know, perceived behind glass. So working with the extraordinary musician and composer, William Barton, they are developing an exhibition that is absolutely interactive, uh, that explores the history of the Yidiki, its contemporary practice, it's uh, an exhibition that... Uh, encourages people and children in particular to get involved to learn about it It really is the, the sound of australia uh it's uh, we're so pleased to have this in the program i think it's going to i hope create the sort of oral soundscape for the whole festival it's one of many works that I'm intrigued about and hopefully getting to see uh, in the 2017 Adelaide Festival running from the 3rd to the 19th of March. Jump online now, folks, and start maybe thinking about booking yourselves uh, tickets for a weekend, www.adelaidefestival.com.au. We haven't, we've run out of time to talk about the production of Richard III that's going to be on from the Schaubuna Theatre in Berlin. There's a chamber yeah. music program. There's kind of magnificent hybrid theatre. There's contemporary dance. Uh, by one of the, the most lauded choreographers in the world. All that and more. So uh, hopefully people can get along and check some of it out. Rachel Healy, many thanks for your time. Thank you so much. This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Now it's time to find out all about a local festival, the Poppy Seed Theatre Festival. Now in its second year, I'm joined in the studio by Artistic Director Phil Hayden. Hello. Uh, Danny Delahunty, the Director of uh, Blessed, uh, Attic Erratic's production for the Poppy Seed Festival this year. Danny, how are you going? Good, good. Uh, and Anna Rodway, co-creator of Lady Cake, one of the, the devised rather than scripted works in the festival. How are you going? Hi, Richard. Good, thank you. Excellent. Well, it looks good to have you all in. Let's start... Phil, with you, what exactly is the Poppy Seed Theatre Festival and why does it even need to exist? <laughs> Great question. Okay, so Poppy Seed Theatre Festival is in its second year now um, and it's a Melbourne-centric theatre festival with a little bit of a difference. So what happens with us is we take the financial responsibility away from the artists because it's exhausting and time-consuming and very, very tiring for artists to constantly be having to find funding and find the resources to do shows. So we offer a proposition where when you apply for us if you're successful in becoming part of the festival um, we give you some money a venue a publicist marketing support and a little bit of ad hoc production support if you'd like it and a little bit of ad hoc creative support if you'd like it so really we're creating the framework for 
outstanding, amazing, emerging, fantastic independent theatre makers to produce the best work possible. We're in our second year. Um, last year was hugely successful, and this year I think is going to be even more successful. Excellent. So how many um, independent theatre companies and makers applied to be part of the festival before it was whittled down oh. to our lucky participants? I think somewhere 50 plus. I can't quite remember. Were they and all then- from Melbourne? Well, no, we had one. We had one international, and then we had at least one from Sydney, which posed a few questions for us. And we said, "Okay, well, they weren't excluded from the application process, but none of them were invited." So we had yeah. better Melbourne people. The Melbourne people um, provided uh, much better. So that means that approximately forty-eight independent theatre companies and and teams applied to be part of the festival, which is a tribute More than, yeah. uh, to the, uh, the hugely healthy state of the independent theatre sector in Melbourne. Absolutely. Um, Danny and Anna, I guess for the two of you, what does being selected for the Poppy Seed Theatre Festival mean for you as theatre makers? It's an incredible opportunity for us because we, uh, as a trio of women who only just graduated from the Victorian College of the Arts last year, uh, being able to realise our sort of passion project so, so soon after graduating, getting the support, uh, the mentorship... Uh, and just the the means to realise our work on such a grand scale um, and to be alongside groups such as Attic Erratic and Riot Stage, which have, you know, cultivated their company over a number of years. So it's sort of a privilege for us to be learning from them as well. And likewise, I mean, you know, we've been making work in Melbourne for the past six years now, uh, but it's it's great to really be in an ensemble with these other three groups. So there's four of us all together meeting up every week, discussing uh, creative and production elements relating to the show, uh, all of our shows, um, and learning off these other groups. It's very rare for Mm. independent theatre companies to actually get together and, you know, meet minds as they're working on shows. Everyone's always so kind of heads down, you know. You're, You're working on what you're working on, but having all of us together in that room every week is an amazing opportunity. Mm. So this is not only then an opportunity to present work, but an opportunity to further grow and strengthen the networks within the Melbourne Independent Theatre Sector. Absolutely, 100%. So what happens frequently in the independent sector is people are working in their little silos with the people that they know, working really hard on low resources, and they reach burnout at a certain point. Um, Because as individuals in the independent sector, we've not got many resources, but as a collective, we've got loads of resources. So we're trying to help people get greater connections in the independent sector by getting them to work together, forcing them to work together, if you like. Um, And that has paid dividends. We've, um, you know, we've done our due diligence and taken the feedback from last year. It actually worked. So that's great. (laughs) Well, let's find out about a couple of the shows in more detail then. So, uh, Anna, we'll start with you. Tell us about Lady Cake. Lady Cake. Well, it is uh, a devised piece by myself, uh, Candice Miles and Madeline Nunn. And I'm going to pause you there. For people listening who don't know much about theatre making, what does devised mean? Well, it can mean a number of different things, but uh, for us, it's it's the three of our brains coming together and we research, we write script, we're we purely script-based, really, in the beginning. Uh, so we collaborate with designers and come to realise our vision for this show. So in this case, uh, Lady Cake is about Marie Antoinette, the last Queen of France, you know, who most people know for a few clichés, such as Let Them Eat Cake. She was beheaded... Uh, you know, spoiled, rich sort of character from history. So we are using her as a device 
to look at uh, the way in which we talk about women in positions of power, the way we put women on pedestals and how do we bring them down. So we are looking at it through the perspective of three of her handmaidens, sort of similar, say, to The Maids, uh, the French play, and looking at how the public versus private life of this figure, who has been so vilified throughout history, actually the factors influencing our perceptions of her. And so devising this piece has meant that we are yeah, research-based, we've watched documentaries, we've read books, but we've also done a lot of research about, you know, look, looking at modern TED Talks, looking at modern women, Hillary Clinton's, Monica Lewinsky's, Princess Diana's, these figures who have also... Uh, cultivated, I suppose, a slightly mythological sort of status. And being simultaneously celebrated and reviled. Exactly, that's right. Yeah. Um, Danny, uh, Attic Erratic, as you said, the company's been around for several years. Tell us about Blessed. Um, well, opposite of a devised piece is a written piece. So uh, this one has been written by Flo Kilpatrick. Who, uh, disclaimer, is a regular guest on this show. She <laughs> certainly is. Um, and... And so, yeah, we, it, it came to us, came to Attic Erratic from Fleur, already fully finished script. Um, it had won the, the Jill Blewett Playwright Award at Adelaide Festival. Um, so that was an amazing kind of boon to start off with, with our application. We got into Poppy Seed. The show, so we started with the script and it's a much more traditional process of just kind of getting in and starting to rehearse and getting it up and going. Um, the show is about being stuck in a situation, something... You can't get out of being just mired in in not having a choice in what you do. So we're we're really looking at intergenerational poverty, at this idea of of being born into a system that just doesn't want you to get out. Like our culture, our society is working best when people aren't given a choice as to how they're going to lead their lives, and. We're looking at that, but at its heart, it's a love story. It's about two people finding connection in the dark. Hmm, I'm intrigued already. <laughs> I, have to, I have to jump in as well. As someone that's on the selection panel for the um, Poppy Seed Theatre Festival, like these two shows and all four shows look fantastic. I am one of a handful of select people that have seen a bit of a live pitch or a preview, if you like, of certain sections of the shows, and they're amazing. Like the aesthetic, uh, the writing, the humour, the boldness, the brashness. It's going to be amazing. I mean, as Danny said, um, Blessed has already won Oh, an award, uh, at least one uh, writing award. Fleur has such a uh, a track record of writing great work. And Attic Erratic, I mean, just go on their website, atticerratic.com. Check out the reviews for the last time that Fleur and Danny worked together. This this is going to be an amazing show, um, premiering at the Malt House at the Tower um, in about a week. One week, yeah. yeah the clock <laughs> yeah. is ticking. Yeah, yeah. Now, the last time you and Fleur worked together was The Cities They Burned. Mm. So what's it like to have this already established collaborative language? Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, with The City They Burned, we, we worked very closely together over about a year and a half in developing that text. And that was where it, it was scripted, but collaboratively scripted between um, Fleur and myself bouncing ideas backward and forward over that time. Um, we, we really do. We have a shared language um, as a writer and a director team. Um, we work really, really closely together. When this came to me, it already had it already spoke so loudly. It was it felt like it was almost ready for, for me to take on, like custom made for my style of directing, for what I like, my 
you know, ideas of, of visual theatre and of, of making scenes just kind of come to life, um, it it really felt, yeah, there was a connection to that script there. And I think that comes from, from our long working history together. And Anna, in terms of Three Birds Theatre, your company, mm. as you say, it's quite a new company. Uh, but I would assume because you've grown out of VCA, the three of you in it ha- already have... a f- uh, a decent length of time that you've been friends and wanting to collaborate. Absolutely. We three, similar to Danny, finding that shared language and these people that sort of are just so on your page in terms of the way you make theatre together. Uh, we've had that sort of since we first worked together uh, on a project in second year and we then devised a piece last year for Melbourne Fringe, which we then toured this year, uh, which we were wrapped with the response to. Uh, so having that ownership together and then we've also got consistent collaborators in terms of uh, our costume designer our set designer lighting sound and our stage manager are all fresh graduates of the vca as well so coming out as this emerging group of people who are trying to uh, find their place in melbourne's amazing theater landscape is is very exciting for us as well and it says a lot as well because you were you know there's some really big local independent theater makers that apply for poppy seed and it's a meritocracy no one's given special treatment in that just because they've say had a string of five star shows uh, everyone's taken on merit and you know the um the pitch um by three birds theater was amazing humorous the aesthetic was brilliant intelligent it's it's going to be a great show. And tell us about the other two shows that are in the Yeah, Pompey so Festival. we've got some more recent graduates-ish um, from VCA. Um, so, VCA, if you want to sponsor us, that'd be great. <laughs> um, we've got Hotel Now are putting on What's Yours Is Mine, and they're taking Chekhov's The Proposal. I don't know if you've read that or know that. It's one of his short works. It's hilarious in and of itself, but they're taking that as a jumping-off point to explore concepts of ownership. And if you've been at our live um, event, um, launch events and that sort of thing you'll see that um like with three birds theater hotel now have an awesome new vibrant aesthetic and i think that's going to be a bold brass show during their live pitch i probably laughed for about nine and a half minutes of the (laughs) 10 minutes that they were given to do their live pitch i just didn't stop giggling Uh, it did get a bit embarrassing but uh you know as far as i was concerned this show is is going to be wonderful and then we closed the festival with an extremely interesting show called f by Riot Stage. Now, Riot Stage work with teenagers to make shows, um, and so they come up with concepts and ideas and then sort of workshop them and script them a bit with teenagers, then go back and rewrite those and then take them back to the teenagers and keep working. They're my colleague Scott Major, who um, is one of the festival directors, he kind of has encapsulated this best. At the end of their live pitch, and there was some teenagers presenting their live pitch of what they were going to do for their show, and they did a little snippet. There were 17 really quite well-respected theatre professionals from all sorts of places on the selection panel for the festival. At the end of the live pitch from Riot Stage, every one of these 17 people let out a gasp. It was breathtaking it's the show itself f is all about um how teenagers discover sex in a post-internet world and certainly i'm of an age where i didn't grow up with the internet didn't kick in until i was about 19 18 something like that i can't imagine what that's like um, but these people do and they're going to tell you in in um f 
<laughs> now, Poppy Seed Theatre Festival is running from the 8th of November until the 11th of December at, uh, let's see, uh, the Malthouse and the Tower Theatre and at Trades Hall and at the Butterfly Club. Four yeah. shows, three venues. Uh, it sounds like it's going to be a, a really intriguing and kind of enriching uh, festival of independent theatre. A final question for all three of you. Why does Melbourne's independent theatre sector kick so many goals? Because, I mean, there's thriving independent theatre in in Brisbane, which kind of seems to ebb and flow. Uh, there's a thriving scene in in Perth, clustered around the Blue Room Theatre and uh, nurtured by the, the growth of the of fringe world over there. But every city I visit around Australia and talk to theatre makers and artistic directors and critics, they all comment on the vibrancy and the diversity of Melbourne's independent theatre scene. Why this city rather than any other capital city in Australia? Why is it so strong here, do you think? I'd say yeah, there's a particularly strong network here. As much as I said, once you get working on a project, your, your head's down a lot of the time. Outside of that time, there is such a, I guess you know, real want for everyone to network with everyone else, to share skills, to share ideas. Poppy Seed is essentially the formalisation of that. It's kind of taking what is already there, which is artists wanting to learn from each other and wanting to assist each other and formalising it. But that that exists year-round everywhere in the independent theatre scene. We're so supportive of each other's work and both creatively and in just getting out and seeing each other's work, that it creates a, a framework whereby we can continue to create amazing theatre. I echo that. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely the cross-collaboration, I think, is, is so enriching here. And throw, that in, throw into the mix an incredible opportunity like Poppy Seed, and it's just giving us that additional platform to have these, this access to mentors and... and continued collaboration that I think is is quite rare and special. Yeah, and I'd add in, just when I moved here from London, um, I don't know, however many years ago, I was blown away by how um, the independent theatre sector here for me and the independent arts scene seems to be, to take up at least half of the the arts landscape. Um, It's not seen as secondary or peripheral to main stage productions. It really is a legitimate... um, passionate, thriving sector, which certainly is different from, uh, you know, London, which is consumed with the West End, which is wonderful and fantastic and brilliant and huge main stage productions. But everything outside of that is seen as slightly uh, second class. But here, no, it's as valid to see a show in the Tower um, at the Malt House as, and to go to Butterfly Club and all these other venues um, as it is to go to the Arts Centre. Yeah. If you would like to know more about the Poppy Seed Theatre Festival, you can jump online, www.poppyseedfestival.com. The festival is running from the 8th of November until the 11th of December. As you've heard, four new and intriguing works at uh, venues, including the Tower Theatre at the Malthouse, Trades Hall and the Butterfly Club. Uh, You can buy tickets for uh, the full festival. Yes. Uh, so you can subscribe to the festival, $115 for all four shows, uh, and that uh, concession is $85 for all four shows. Um, or I imagine you can also just book individually for them as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. But, but it's a festival. Festivals are more fun when you just throw yourself in and see more stuff. So that's certainly what I would recommend doing. So the Poppy Seed Theatre Festival from the 8th of November to the 11th of December, as I said, dub com. Go and check it out. Uh, we've been talking to the festival's artistic 
Artistic Director Phil Hayden, Danny Delahunty and Anna Rodway. Thank you all for coming in. Thank Thanks you so much, Richard. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.